One of my favorite words has always been the word flourish. Today, we are going to learn how to flourish in every area of our lives, and that includes in the area of our emotions. God's will for your life is for you to flourish in every area of your life, and that includes your emotions. Let me begin today's program by reading to you from Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap and very green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. You see, God made you to flourish, not to die on the vine of life. God doesn't want you to be all shriveled up with anger and depression and worry. He doesn't want you to live a brittle life where the littlest breeze causes you to break away from the vine. God's will is for you to flourish in every area of life, and that certainly includes your emotions. Let me tell you what this word flourish means from the Hebrew. Flourish, to receive life from outside yourself, creating vitality within yourself, and producing blessing beyond yourself. Isn't that good? It's so good. I've got to tell you one more time so you really get it. Flourish to receive life from outside yourself. This is the life that comes from God. You will never flourish unless you tap into God. Creating vitality within yourself. See, when you tap into God, when you reach out to God, when you ask Jesus into your heart, when you pray for the Holy Spirit to give you power, it's going to create a vitality within yourself that you can't do on your own. And finally, flourish means to produce blessing beyond yourself. God wants you to bless the world around you. He wants you to flourish because he is part of your life. You were created to flourish, to grow because you're receiving life from God. The fruits of the Holy Spirit will always make you into someone better than yourself on your own. When you tap into the power of God, you will live a life that blesses others in a way that you could not do on your own. Flourishing means becoming the person that God had in mind the day that he created you. You know, when God first thought of you, he thought of a person who would be deeply committed to their spouse, even in times of trouble. When God first thought of you, he perhaps thought of a teenager who would always think of including others, never discluding them. He thought of a teenager who would be submissive to their parents. When God first thought of you, he thought of a person who would invest his or her life in eternal pursuits and not in temporary pleasures. When God first thought of you, He saw a seasoned, wise person who was more committed to prayer than he or she was to worry. My mom inherited, and I use the term loosely, an old beat-up dresser from my father's parents' 
barn. It had been in the chicken shed, and it had gathered dust and chicken doo-doo and feathers on the surface. And when my mom and dad got married, because they were as poor as church mice, but deeply in love, my paternal grandmother painted the dresser olive green and gave it to them. It was in our upstairs hallway for all of my childhood. We used it for dress-up clothes and for tinker toys. We used it to store our crayons and markers and construction paper scraps. And when I went away to college, my mother took it to a man who lived in our town by the name of Mr. Cianfrini, and she asked him to refinish this monstrosity of a dresser. She told Mr. C, I just want its natural wood back. Whatever the natural wood is, just take it down to its natural beauty. Well, the very next day, Mr. C and Freeney called my mom and said, Mrs. B, you need to come and get it. And she said, are you kidding me? Are you done with it already? And he said to her, no, I refuse to touch that dresser. He said to her, I looked it up in one of my books and it It's a dresser that was made during the Revolutionary War, during the days of George Washington. He said, Mrs. B, that dresser is worth tens of thousands of dollars. It's an heirloom. It's a treasure. Well, my mom said to him, Mr. Cianfrini, you're the only one I would let refinish it. So please do it for me. And it took him months. My mom would often stop on the way home from work and look at the dresser and see the progress that Mr. C. and Freeney was making. Gently, oh, so gently, he was removing the grime, the paint, and the stain, and he was buffing it and, and varnishing it and restoring it to its natural beauty. You are that dresser. You were made to be valued and cared for. You are an heirloom of the rarest kind in the kingdom of God at this moment in history. But you have allowed life to put doo-doo and feathers and dust all over you. And then some well-meaning self-help guru has painted you an ugly olive green. God wants to remove all of that and restore you to your natural beauty. I believe that we all have a defining moment in life that has determined our emotional stability, that has pre-programmed our emotional habits, and has set our emotional structure. For some of us, it was trauma-induced, and like a soldier coming home from war, now we suffer from post-traumatic stress syndrome. Every word that we speak is colored by the emotional trauma of that event. Every decision that we make is determined by the emotional trauma of that one event. Perhaps for you, it's not trauma, but it's continual disappointment that has caused you to be a critical person. Nothing is ever good enough for you. No one is ever kind enough for you. And you see the world through a black haze. You mark everyone else's life up with your red grading pen. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Maybe you're the victim of what I call the princess persona. And you think that you're entitled to get your way all the time. And if you don't, Watch out. I speak my mind. I pose in center stage. Watch me while I pirouette my way through life. We all have a symptom of emotional imbalance. For David, it was a child that died too early. And this child died because of David's sin. When the child was alive, David fasted and prayed. But when 
He died. This is what David did. 2 Samuel 12, 20. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he came to his own house. And when he requested, they set food before him and he ate. Now, I can't imagine the pain of losing a child, can you? Emotions so deep and so raw that eating is torturous. Holding a normal conversation is like running the gauntlet. Looking ahead is devastating. If anyone deserved to do some self-loathing at this point, it was David. If anyone deserved to consider suicide, it was David. If anyone deserved to crawl into the black hole of depression and never come out, it was David. But I want to tell you today, brothers and sisters in Christ, what you deserve to do and what you should do are two different roads entirely. The first thing that we see that David did in 2 Samuel 12, 20 is that David arose from the ground. He got out of the dirt, out of the pain of his circumstances. He established himself and refused to be defined by this moment of horror in his life. He moved forward and left the pain behind. I want to encourage you today to rise up and move forward. Move ahead. Leave your pain behind. The second thing David did was he washed himself. I want to encourage you today to get rid of the dirt and the pain of disappointment. Take the soap of the Holy Spirit and bathe yourself in it from head to toe. You might need counseling. Go for it. You might need to do some confession. Do it. You might need someone else to pray for you. Ask for it. Do whatever it takes to rid yourself of the residue. And then David anointed himself. In the Old Testament, anointing always happened after the washing or the bathing. And it demonstrated David's readiness to be used by God to prepare himself for service, for giving, and for ministering. See, this is what I believe. I believe that a Christian should never waste their pain. But in that moment, they should say, God, use me to help other people. And finally, David changed his clothes. I believe that he put on that garment of praise that Isaiah 61, 3 talks about to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. And then David worshiped. If you long to flourish, you will change clothes and worship. You know, we have been given some powerful weapons to use while reaching for an abundant life. And worship is one of those weapons. We all have painful memories that we need to deal with. And these painful memories influence our emotional stability today. If you ignore them and stuff them, you will become an angry, resentful person. But one of the most powerful cleansing agents to deal with the pain of the past is worship. Worship heals your mind and your memories. It's a glorious cleansing tool. It takes the power out of the pain. Worship does not ignore the pain of the past, but it dismantles the pain of the past.